You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, church, it's great to be with you here today in this way. My name's Joe Ash, for those of you who I haven't met. I'm a volunteer pastor here at City on a Hill Surf Coast. Um, and it's been quite a while since I've I've preached. The last time I preached here was on Good Friday, I think, Um we're looking at uh, work and rest today, and I feel like those two themes are relevant in perhaps the reason why I haven't preached here for a while and trying to find balance uh, in, in, in the life that I try and live. So, um, yeah, so we're looking at a series today. We're in a series called VTC, which Lisa alluded to us before. It's a little bit, a little bit cryptic, perhaps. It stands for the vine, the trellis, and the crow. And in this series, we're looking at really a spiritual disciplines. It's the vine and the trellis and the crow is based loosely on John 15, where the vine, does anyone remember in John 15 who the vine is? Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the vine. If you never know the answer to a question at church, probably Jesus. Just say Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Jesus is the vine. And in John 15, we are the branches. And, And in John 15, it talks about us abiding in him. So the vine Jesus, us the branches connected to the vine. And the trellis, uh, we had a Lucas talk to us. He's a guy who works with grapes and makes wine. He talked about the trellis that if you drive past the vineyard uh, is set up so that grapes can grow out and, and along it. Trellis, the trellis is, you know, if the goal in our life as Christians is to abide in Christ, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, we want to be connected to that vine. What is the trellis in our life? What are some things that we can put in our life that help us to do that well? What is some structure in our life that helps us to be organized and stay connected so our life just doesn't sort of fall all over the ground and go everywhere? That's the idea of the trellis. The crow is open to interpretation. <laughs> so so we're looking at uh, in in what, what are some things in our first sermon on this a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, the idea of a rule of life, and really the rule of life is what is the trellis? What are things that you can put in your life? What does that look like? It's like a way better version. Someone will be mad that I say this. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not just this thing that we're going to say that we're going to do. It's a structured and organized trellis in our life. A way of saying that is a rule of life. Week one, we talked about that. Week two, we looked at examine and encouragement last week. A couple of spiritual disciplines, some things that we can put in the trellis in our life. How can we examine ourselves? How can we be encouraged on an ongoing basis? Listen to that one from last week if you missed it. Today, we're going to look at work and rest. Work and rest are the two, uh, the spiritual discipline of work, spiritual discipline of rest that we're going to talk about and plug into and kind of as a church consider how do, how do we kind of factor that into the trellis that we build in our life so that we can abide in Christ. And there's so much to say about work and rest. I really struggled in preparing 
this sermon. Uh, there's a couple of kind of formative people that I've gone and lo- looked to and listened to uh, on these two on these topics. Rest, for example, there's a guy John Mark Comer, um, who I'd encourage you to look up and listen listen to. So John Mark, that's his first name. Comer is his second name. When he talks about Sabbath, he's got four one-hour sermons just on the Sabbath, which is only one part of rest. <clears throat> there's this podcast that I found called Theology of Work. Every week for about two years, they spend an hour thinking about work and what that means. I've got like 16 pages of notes, and it takes me about half an hour to get through six. So my job today is to not say all of those words and to try and cull down what we've got. Yeah, Louis, comfy, lie down, get comfortable. <laughs> but I guess the reason I say that is in these two ideas, the idea of work and why we work and what it is and how we can work well, and also the idea of rest, how we can rest well, I'm just going to crack the lid on those two ideas, and I'd really encourage you to spend time thinking about what those patterns and rhythm, rhythms look like in your life. Treat this as just a, literally just a, oh, that's interesting. There's some stuff in there. Like I opened the door and I can see a really interesting thing to continue to think about and consider. That's all I'm going to be able to do today. I thought about just picking one, work or rest. I want to touch on both and just basically crack the door open. And if something in there grabs you or it's something for you to think about, then I'd love to talk with you more about some other resources to look at, look at and think about or some other you know people you can listen to, things to read to continue to think about it. Anyway, the more I talk about that and not on our topic, the less time that we have. So first, quickly, work. I want to touch on, I think, two unhelpful ways that we often think about work. And then I'll look at what the Bible says about work. I'm going to do the same for rest. I think it's helpful also, when I, when I say the word work, I think most of us probably think about our paid occupation, um, which is, for, for most of us, that's what work probably brings to mind. It isn't the case for all of us, though you don't have to be paid to work. Um, perhaps your job is to look after the home. Perhaps your job is to look after grandkids. Work doesn't just mean what you get paid to do. Work is broader than that. I won't define it more tightly than that at this stage, and I think it'll become apparent as we talk it through. Don't just think about your paid job, though if you are paid, it's probably the most relevant thing as we talk about work. So the first unhelpful way that we think about work, I think, as society, as people, as we think about work as something that we should try and not do. Work something, I think, that we think is something that we have to do. We're kind of forced to work. But in an ideal world, we could find a way to not work anymore. Perhaps we can summarize this way of thinking about work as, and I know this isn't quite fair, but as, thank God, it's Friday. I made it. The weekend's here. This is what I live for. Some of us look for any way not to work, to find a goal. We have a goal to hack the system to retire early and live a life of leisure and recreation. That's what we really should do. You know, we're human beings. We're not human doings. What's all this doing that we're doing all the time? We should just be able to be. 
I don't think that's a helpful way for us to think about work. The YouTube, perhaps I think about work like that because on my YouTube, you know, the algorithm, every second thing is, oh, if you just, you know, do this for one hour a day, you'll earn 7,250 US dollars a month. And then you don't have to work anymore, right? That's the goal of life, isn't it? No, I don't think that's a helpful way to think about work. And alternatively, a second unhelpful way I think that we can think about work is that we can derive all of our value and meaning as humans from our work. We think that we're good and productive people because of the output that we can produce in some way. Perhaps this can be summarized as, thank God it's Monday. For some of you, like that's, what, what, what's that? Thank God it's Monday. That's a thing. Society drives us to hustle. I actually have a sticker on my computer that says, thank God it's Monday. It's a real thing. If, if you are one of the thank God it's Friday people, maybe that's like, whoa, do people really think that? Some people really do think that. It's actually me. If I'm going to identify with one of these two camps, that I'm in that camp. We're taught by society that, you know, through osmosis in some ways, but also quite directly, that the, the more valuable we are, the, our value is tied to the output we can produce, whether that's at your in your home, how tidy your home is, maybe it's at work, how much you can smash your targets if you're a sales person. If it's a not-for-profit, maybe it's the amount of influence that you can have. All of those are good and fine things to want. But society tells us to work more and more so we can be valued more and more. Not a helpful way to think about work. Jesus has actually done all the work that really matters for our, our our identity. It's Jesus who's done all of the all of the work that creates us to be who we are to be, and that is to be with God. Those two things are not helpful ways to think about work. Maybe you identify more as one or the other, but I want to quickly just look at what I think the Bible says, some of the things that the Bible says about work. In Genesis 1, I think when I think about work, I often think that work is a result of the fall. In the perfect world, before there was any sin and any brokenness, we didn't have to work. We have to work to fix things, don't we? It's actually not true. Work was before the fall. In Genesis 1, this is when God had just finished creating people, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. There was work. God gave people, he created people, and he gave them a job to do. To look after the earth, to govern the earth, to fill it up. We've done a pretty good job of that as people. There's lots of people. But the, the idea of being, you know, of stewarding well the world that's around us, that was the job that God gave people before anything was wrong with the world. After the fall, work did get worse. In Genesis 2, it says, To Adam, this is God speaking, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife, you ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
So now, after the fall, work is harder, right? There's thorns and thistles, which weren't there before. In work now, there's introduced this idea of perhaps another word to use is toil. There's this kind of difficulty attached to work that the fall has introduced. I think it's helpful to think about work and toil as two different kind of ideas. Work is good. Work is always there. We're going to work in heaven. We, you know, when we get to heaven, it talks about us serving God. That's work, right? But the toil attached to our work is removed once we get there. After the fall, a lot of our work also changed to fixing broken things. If you think about the jobs that we do as society, there's lots of broken stuff. And now we get to fix those things. That, that work wasn't there. That work's still good. Um, but it, our work has changed. If Jesus is the vine, we want to be connected to the vine. I think in all of these spiritual, spiritual disciplines, a good spot to look to for what Jesus, for how to live these out is what did Jesus do? So with work, I think a helpful question is, well, did Jesus work? What did his work look like? And maybe we can model and think about what that means for us. So Jesus worked, right? He worked really hard. Joseph, his earthly dad, and he were carpenters. We learned that from Mark chapter 6. A carpenter today, I think about a carpenter as someone who maybe builds the frame of your house. It's attached, you know, connected to making things out of wood. The word carpenter then is perhaps more e- better to translate as builder or handyman, um, someone who builds things. And in Jerusalem, there wasn't very much wood in the day. Most of the houses, if you go, are made out of stone. And so it's, it's likely that Jesus, as a carpenter, as a builder, someone who builds things, built things with stone. The stonemason or a bricklayer. That's pretty hard work. Right, I worked with a, worked as a bricklayer. I tried to be a bricklayer. I wasn't a very good one, but for a couple of years, that's difficult work. When he was about thirty years old, he changed profession to be a teacher and a rabbi. And most of what we know about Jesus is then. But if you think about Jesus working with his dad from when he was, you know, fourteen or fifteen, probably about that old, he worked. And on the, you know, there's a a little bit of creative license here, but as a bricklayer or as a stonemason for 15 years, the son of God, God himself come down, that's the work that he did, the work of a tradesman. I also think about Jesus. I don't think that he would have worked in a big gang of bricklayers going and doing commercial work on a union job site in the big city, right? A gang of 30 or 40 of them. I think most likely he probably worked with his dad in, in a small business, I can imagine Jesus, you know, a customer comes and wants a house. He goes out and does a quote. He goes, oh, yeah, I reckon it'll be this many shekels for us to build your house. Jesus then has to do the work. He goes, he's got to rock up. He's got to be on time. He's got to build the thing. There's some drama. There's no mud. There's not enough sand or something. He's got to go and tell the person, oh, sorry, we're going to be late. The work gets done. He's got to send an invoice and go, right, we're done. Can you pay? Here's the bill. Go into zero, tap away, make sure the invoice goes out. <laughs> I think it's likely that Jesus did. Obviously, he didn't use zero, 
But Jesus worked, right? For 15 years-ish of his life, Jesus worked like this. Work is not bad. Work is good. Jesus worked, and therefore I think it's, it's, it's good that we should work. And so what, what can we learn from work? I think there's a difference between work, forever work, and toil, the thorns and thistles. We might not work the ground and come across thorns and thistles, physical ones, but there's metaphorical thorns and thistles in all of our work, right? I'm sure that you can think of what those things are. But there is real value in applying ourselves to the discipline of working on something, on whatever that thing is, and iteratively improving it. Through our work, we get to contribute to human flourishing. We do get to restore the created order. You know, God created things and they're broken. Through our work, we get to restore that. We get to govern and steward and look after the world that God's put us, put us as humans in charge of. I think it's easy to perhaps think that our work doesn't matter. I'm just a bricklayer. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a stay-at-home mum. I'm just a, you know, whatever, insert, insert whatever you feel. And I felt like this quite a lot about my work. <coughs> but I think a helpful thing to think about is what if no one did the thing that you do? So maybe you're a truck driver and you go, oh, my, I'm just a truck driver. Doesn't what do I how do I contribute to human flourishing? What if no one drove trucks? What if there were no truck drivers? I certainly would have to shop a different way. I don't buy anything from actual shops. I go online and truck drivers bring it to my house. <laughs> it would change things a lot, right? If there's no truck drivers. What if there was no accountants? What if there were no builders? What if there are no firefighters? All of our work does contribute to a flourishing society and to, um, you know, it does contribute to human flourishing. God has built us to work. We also get to learn a lot about the work that we do, but about ourselves and the discipline of working, the discipline of applying ourselves to a problem and growing over time through work. If you think about life with Jesus, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's something that we need to keep working on day after day, week after week. It's not a, a quick do something once and it's done. Through the process of physical work, we learn about what's required in our spiritual life and our spiritual work. So how do you think about your work? Is it something that you love? Is it everything to you? Is your identity and your value only found in your work? Or is it something that you hate? perhaps? Is work something that you avoid and you think that you shouldn't have to do it? In your rule of life, if you think about the trellis for your life, I think the work should be part of it. Both work on and in the world, but also there's work for us to do in building our lattice and abiding in Jesus on an ongoing basis. So work is good. But God also tells us to rest. How are we going for time? Was I long on work? I'm okay. <laughs> As we're talking about work and rest, I think it's, I'm not going to talk specifically about it. If I was going to have a third topic, I'd, I'd talk about balance. I think work is good. We've talked about work 
been good. We're going to talk about rest. The balance between these two things, I think, is something for you to consider and think about and work on in your lattice, in your rule of life as you're doing that. Um, work is good. We've talked about work a little bit and where that comes from. Rest is also good. The way that we balance those two things and work that out in our life is really important. So again, there's so much to say about rest. I'm primarily going to talk about the Sabbath. I think when the Bible talks about rest, it talks about the Sabbath. We'll talk about what that is in a minute. But, but briefly, I think two, there's two unhelpful ways of, that we generally think about rest. Two things that I don't, that, that, you know, I fall into, two ways of thinking about rest that are not helpful. And then again, we'll look at what I think some things that the Bible says about rest. So the first unhelpful way of thinking about rest is you can sleep when you're dead. (laughs) I've said that out loud. I think it's a quote from a movie somewhere. I don't watch many movies, but I'm sure that that wasn't my invention. You can sleep when you're dead, but I've certainly said it. In the work, you know, the unhelpful ways of thinking about work, my way of thinking with when I fall into a trap is that I'm, I'm all about how productive I can be. So it's probably not surprising then that when I think about sleep, it's like, well, what a waste of time. Why would I want to spend a third of my life lying out in bed, doing nothing, contributing nothing to society? What value am I if I'm just asleep the whole time? right? We can do that later. You can sleep when you're dead. And I've actually tried different ways to not sleep. It's like if I could sleep four hours a night instead of eight, imagine all the extra stuff I could do. I'd be so much more productive and valuable, right? Maybe you can relate to that or maybe you just think I'm mad. But doesn't it seem like a crazy design that when God made us as humans, he designed us, and let's take eight hours as the ideal amount of sleep. I know it varies a little bit person to person, For me, that's about right, unfortunately. (laughs) But isn't it weird that when he made us, he designed us for a third of our life to be out, unconscious, doing nothing. Don't you reckon, did God have to make us like that? Couldn't he have made us to be awake all the time and doing stuff? I reckon that would be cool. But he didn't do that, right? He made us for a third of the time. So if you live to, let's do 90 for easy maths. If you live to be 90, 30 years of your life, you're unconscious. The world is just happening around you. Why did he do that? And I think what he did is he built into us a daily reminder that we're not God. Sleep is a daily reminder that I'm not, you're not, any of us aren't God. We pass out unconscious and we rely on his goodness on the rules and the rhythms that he's put in place to keep to sustain the world around us. When we wake up, the world is still there. Everything's probably better because I haven't done anything to mess it up. <laughs> and he even wakes us up after eight hours every single day. So enjoy the gift of sleep and the reminder each day of how reliant we are on God. I'm saying this to myself as much as you guys. Something that I've been trying to do is to actually thank God for that. In the Bible, it talks about how a good night's sleep is a gift from God. We have this routine, this ritual, this trellis that a lot of us have in our life around saying thanks to God for food. 
we, particularly at dinner time, probably we say grace, we stop, maybe we hold hands. My kids put their hands like this at the table and they say thanks to God for food. Something that I've been trying to do <clears throat> is when I wake up is to thank God for sleep. Thanks God for the reminder that I'm not God. Thanks that uh, hopefully it was a good night's sleep and thanks for your goodness and how you sustain us and for that reminder that you've given us. I'm trying to do that, to pray and remind myself of that. A psalm that's been really helpful for me in doing that, it's actually one of my favourite psalms at the moment, is Psalm 121. And it reminds us of this difference between us and God in relation to sleep, being asleep and awake. I'll read it to you, even though it will take time. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber, slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He'll keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. How good is that? Why do I need to be awake all the time? God is awake all the time and he's way better at being God than I am. So daily, let's rest. Let's rest properly. We don't need to be God. He's got that bit sorted. The other unhelpful way of thinking about rest, I won't talk very much about, <clears throat> but is the opposite of that. It's where we live for rest and recreation. You've got teenagers, they're probably pretty good at doing this, where sleeping, it's like not how can I sleep less, it's how come I have to be awake? How can I just sleep for the whole time? It's also not a helpful way to think about rest. Balance is important. But what does God say about rest? What are some things in the Bible where God talks about rest? We've looked at the daily pattern of rest that God has established. But when the Bible talks about rest, it talks a lot about this idea of Sabbath. There's this Sabbath, and we and Johan read it for us in, in the two Bible readings. God established a weekly pattern of rest in creation. He built and made everything for six days. <clears throat> And then on the seventh day, he rested. God also commanded this Sabbath rest, this weekly process of resting. In the Ten Commandments, fourth commandment is rest. Pretty cool commandment, right? But, but the idea of Sabbath, I think, for us in sort of post-Christian surf coast culture, is pretty foreign to us. Sabbath, what's that? It's even a funny word right? Society until relatively recently sort of had a natural rhythm like this. The shops were shut on Sundays. I grew up in a little country town where the shops are still shut on Sundays, but most places aren't like that anymore. The world that we live in now is 24-7. Monday through Sunday are really all the same. But for, for a lot of sort of Christian history and the, and the world's history, there was this idea of a seventh day <coughs> uh, sorry, 
Thanks. Um, the, the seventh day, it was Saturday, now Sunday, being a different day, a set-apart day, a day where we rest. The, and the word Sabbath, the Hebrew word, I won't say it right, is Shabbat. The most helpful way of translating that word just means stop. So when you read the word Sabbath in the, in the Bible, it really talks, thank you, my throat is really bad, hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The word Sabbath, Shabbat, means stop. And I think it's really interesting that in the Ten Commandments that you know, we, we just looked at, one of these rules is to stop, to Shabbat, to rest. If we think about the Ten Commandments not with, as God as a dictator wanting to control things, but if we think about the Ten Commandments being sort of rules for human flourishing, God kind of articulating, hey, people, if you live like this, this is how you live best. One of the things that God says is to stop and to rest in his design for us. That's obviously important. A reasonable question to ask is, go, hey, this isn't the Ten Commandments, this Sabbath thing. Why don't I hear about this rule like all of the others? I know not to kill people. I know not to be jealous about things. I know not to commit adultery. What about Sabbath? Why don't I hear about and think about that in the same way? I won't talk too much in, in detail about it, but when we read the Old Testament, there's this idea of the ceremonial law and also the moral law. In the Old Testament, there's lots of rules around, say, say animal sacrifice. <coughs> My throat's really bad, hey? Maybe it means I should stop talking. <laughs> Keep going. Thanks, Louie. Ceremonial law. So there's rules around, like, say, human sacrifice. Uh, not human sacrifice. <laughs> animal sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, there's no human sacrifice. Where did that come from? Animal sacrifice so that humans can be right with God in the temple. There's lots of rules around the temple. And we don't follow those anymore because in Jesus, those rules were fulfilled. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. People put the idea of Sabbath in that bucket, in that ceremonial law bucket, and go, well, Jesus, we find our rest now in Jesus. Jesus has done all of the work for us. So the idea of Sabbathing, of resting, to come to the temple where God is resting, God is dwelling, we don't need to do that in the same way anymore. Now, if you want to read about, a little bit about that, Colossians 2 and Romans 14 are both relevant texts for you to go and read where there's discussion in the New Testament <coughs> about that. That's why, and, and, and some people don't agree with that. Some people, some Christians today would still go, actually, the Sabbath, that's a thing. We've missed it, and we need to go back to it. It's in the Ten Commandments, and it's not in that ceremonial law. It's part of the moral law, and we still should do it. Um, I, I sit in the, from a, from a um, where I would stand on that is, I think that Jesus did fulfill the requirements of the Sabbath, and our rest is in Jesus now. But is it still a good idea to rest? 
every seventh day. Is there a pattern that God created that's helpful? Yeah, I think there is. So I don't reckon it really matters. If it's, I mean, it does matter. That's maybe not the most helpful way of saying it. But we should rest regardless. If it's ceremonial or ceremonial or or moral, it's a good idea. It was the way that God made it right from the start. If um, you want to go to your car, if it does start to rain, it's not raining that badly yet. I won't be offended. So get comfortable, get an umbrella, get your jacket on if it does start to rain more. Sabbath was a really hot topic for Jesus. When you read the Gospels, the idea of Sabbath is a big deal. In uh, Matthew 11, which Johan read to us, the stories, the two stories after that are where Jesus has fights with the Pharisees around the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Testament and through into the New Testament, the Pharisees had put all these rules around the rules of the Sabbath and it had become this uh, burden for people to adhere to and observe the Sabbath well. Jesus fights with the Pharisees about that and goes, hey, guys, this Sabbath thing, it's actually for you. It's actually meant to be a good thing where you can rest and come back to and remember how good God is. It's for you as humans to rest in God and how good he is. Pharisees, what are you doing? You're making this rest thing a bad thing. Isn't rest meant to be good? And and Jesus actually says, The Son of Man also is Lord of the Sabbath. He says to the Pharisees, I'm the boss of this Sabbath thing too. When we follow Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 30, Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think the message version, there's a guy, Eugene Peterson, who uh, has a paraphrase of the Bible, his interpretation of the Bible. He puts these passages like this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Following Jesus isn't a heavy burden. It's not a list of rules. It's not another thing to do that saps energy and drains us. True rest for us as people is only found in Jesus. The stories about the Sabbath in the New Testament, they come right after this. It's like Jesus says, come to me and rest. And what do you do? Stop. How bad's the rain? That's going to be cozy under that gazebo. (laughs) So rest, I'll be quick. I'll try and finish quickly. Rest is a gift that God gives us and it's built into his 
design. But the rest that we need is found in being connected to God through Jesus. The Sabbath was a routine, a rule for people in the Old Testament to come back to the temple to be connected to God on a weekly basis. Through that process, they could rest in God's goodness. But now we can find that connection to God through Jesus and being connected to him. It's through this connection that we can rest, we can breathe a big sigh out, and off the back of this rest, we can live a a full life as God desires for us. So I'd like to encourage us, the idea of Sabbath in your rule of life, in the trellis, maybe it's something you've never thought of, I'd encourage you to think about what Sabbath might look like. And I think a couple of just helpful reflections on what that might look like. The idea of Sabbath, I think, is to stop what we normally do for work, whether that's paid work or work in the home or your or what work is for you, and to spend a day, ideally a day, but if we're not doing it at all, let's maybe start with a couple of hours or an afternoon. Spend a day reminding ourselves of the goodness of God and how we rely on him for everything. We have that daily pattern where we get to thank God for sleeping and, re- and that reminds us of who God is. Weekly, let's do the same thing. The Sabbath is where we stop striving and working and achieving and personally improving and we reflect on who God is, what he's done and what that makes us. For one day a week, God has designed and asked and suggested, commanded in the Ten Commandments, though, you know, we've talked about that, that we spend a day resting in, that, in his goodness, in his grace and his mercy to the point where we stop doing our normal work, whatever might that, that might look like, and spend that day. The goal of that day is to rest in God's goodness. That's pretty cool, right? Imagine if we did that one day a week. That's what we did as people. I haven't been doing that. I want to try and do that. I want to build that trellis into my life. And so what should we do on that day? If that is something too that you want to consider and explore, what are some things that we do? John Mark Comer, who I mentioned before, um, he has a helpful sort of frame of reference, I think, of thinking about it. He goes, "Is whatever the thing that you're going to do, is it restful? First question. Is it worshipful? Second question, the I, and if it's those two things, then do it. If it's not those two things, then do it tomorrow. Simple way of thinking about something to do on the Sabbath, right? It's about remembering and worshipping God and resting. When should you do it? We all have different work schedules and some of us work shift work and some of us do night shift and we have different schedules. But I think for a lot of us, Sunday is a good time to do it, right? I think this process that we're doing of gathering, of hearing God's word read, of worshiping God, building other things around that are perhaps helpful things to do on Sabbath. Read more scripture than perhaps you normally would. Listen to music that helps you enjoy and focus on God's goodness. Have friends over and enjoy good food and thank God for how good that is. Go for a surf and thank God for the waves. Important to note that surfing doesn't necessarily equal Sabbathing. 
But when you go, if being in the ocean, you can reflect and go, God, how good is this? How good is it that you made this that I get to participate in? And thank him for that. Go for a trail run. Thank God for the clean air and for your body and how it moves. Go for a walk and just look at the trees and enjoy his creation. Do things that recharge and energize you, but do it in order to enjoy God and his goodness. Sabbath, on Sabbath, I reckon don't sit on the couch and watch Netflix. That's perhaps restful, but it's not worshipful. Do things that help remind you of the goodness of God. I think I've talked for long enough. What's on my last page? But yeah, I feel like I've just cracked the lid, hopefully, on what work, on work and rest and given you some ideas perhaps to think about and consider what the trellis and what uh, in, in your life, uh, how maybe you, are, you can practice uh, these rhythms of work and rest um, and uh, put things in your life that are helpful for you to abide in Christ. I'd love to, if there's anything in there that's... Um, you'd like to explore more or look at more. There's heaps of things that I've read. I've mentioned some of them that you can go and look at um, in either work or rest. There's, yeah, if, if, something, if there's something you'd like to explore more, then come and chat and I'd love to kind of point you in a number of directions. Um, and also be interesting in our gospel communities to think and play that out and go, what does work look like for you? Is that in balance? What does rest look like for you? Is that in balance? Work and rest is a suitful, helpful component of our trellis to help us abide in Christ. But let me pray. Uh, thank you, God, for the time that we spent together. Thanks that it didn't pour rain, that we uh, didn't have to run back to our cars. God, thanks for the gift of work that you've given us. Thanks that you've designed us to work. Thanks that you modelled that both in creation and in your son Jesus coming down. But God, thanks that uh, following you is not and doesn't need to be and is not designed to be a burden. Thanks that you've done the most important work of all time, the work that means that we can be right with you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.